and welcome to Under Center with Kirk Cousins. Cousins from under center, straight drop, it's another deep shot. Center of a Welcome to Under Center with Kirk Cousins, presented by Fleet Farm. Well, Kirk, you know, we talk about it often. The one constant in this uh, razor-thin parody of the National Football League is a turnover ratio. And when you win that, you almost win the game, almost always win the game. And on the, the short end of the turnovers against Dallas on, on Sunday, and is that the stat that, again, stands out to you the most as you review this football game? It's certainly one you can't ignore. Uh, both the, the fumble early that I had uh, at least the six points um, and then the fumble, you know, at the end of the half where we're in field goal range, you know, hoping to get a touchdown. And next thing you know, Dallas comes away with a field goal. It was an enormous swing at the end of the half. So both times the turnovers really, uh, really hurt. You finish the game and you look at production on offense and you see three for three in the red zone. You see 60% conversions on third down. Mm-hmm. You see 430 mm-hmm. yards of offense. And you think, you know, how do you lose that game? But as you mentioned, you know, turnovers will always uh, take precedence uh, as far as a statistic at the end of a game that tells a story. You took some shots in that first half. You mentioned the first offensive series. Uh, you got sandwiched between a couple of defenders. It appeared that you, it was a helmet-to-helmet hit, but they didn't uh, They didn't call that. Uh, they initially reviewed Vikings, kept the ball, then they reviewed it and gave it to Dallas. But if you look at that play of the tape, uh, it did seem like you survived a pretty good collision there, helmet-to-helmet. Yeah, I mean, it all happened so fast that, um, you know, I didn't really know the difference. But, um, uh, you know, he made a great play and, and he, uh, mm-hmm. you know, went for the football. And, and uh, I just need to have a uh, – once I'm under duress, the ball has to come as close to my body as possible and you have to finish the play with the ball. Um, and when you don't do that, you know, it's, it's, on, it's on me. So, you know, the ball could have gone hot to Dalvin to my left and, um, you know, we could have avoided it altogether. But uh, once you're – you know, getting hit, you got to secure the football. Well, after trailing uh, six nothing, uh, they they had extra point was blocked. You took off on a twelve play seventy five yard drive. You really got into a good offensive rhythm, and it looked like it bode well for the rest of the game. Uh, Dalvin Cook was exploiting those gaps and you know, and the secondary, and it took that seven to six lead. Yeah, that was a big drive. Uh, you know, we kind of lost the momentum because of the turnover. We we start you know down six nothing, and uh, to get the ball back there, we hit a a big play to Adam on a far cross mm-hmm. uh, that got us going. And then it was a mix of run pass. We converted a couple big third downs. We overcame a, a long penalty. Uh, Irv Smith came up big for us on that drive with a couple big plays, including a third down conversion and um, just kind of chipped away. Uh, and we're able to get it in on again, and another third down and goal uh, where Dalvin had unbelievable run uh, where really there was nothing there initially, but he kept his balance and found a way to get in and, um, you know, I thought that was a tremendous drive. It shows you how quickly things can turn on a just a moment's notice. As you mentioned, the pass to Dalvin, he got smoked over the middle. Uh, Dallas recovered the fumble, and all of a sudden they got a field goal. But you're down 16 to seven at the half, and you think to yourself, "We think we could be in this control of this football game." But because of those two turnovers, Dalvin fortunately was able to recover and play a big role in your second half. Yeah, it was great that he was able to. Uh, you know, be healthy. I was nervous that, that the, mm-hmm. the, the hit was more serious. And, and so to have him for the second half was, was a big lift for us. But um, there's no doubt that, you know, you hit the screen at the start of the two minute drill at the time, I believe it's 13 to seven, you hit the screen. Now you're knocking on the door and uh, you're thinking, you know, at worst, it'll be 13, 10 at half. And hopefully we can get a touchdown here and go up 14, 13. And next thing you know, 
uh, they have the ball on, you know, our side of the field and are kicking a field goal to go up 16, seven. So, you know, that's, that's the way football is. Every play can be the play that turns the game. And as a result, we just have to always be aware of, you know, every, everything situation, defense, you know, our job, just so that, you know, we protect uh, what we have and, and we make the plays that are needed to be made, to be made. And, you know, in this league, when you get to the end of a game, you can point to one, two, three plays that, ball bounces a certain way, goes a different way, and the result's different at the end. And so uh, we're reminded of that again after the Cowboys game. Well, the sense of urgency was there to start the third quarter. He had the ball. Uh, He went on a nice uh, nine-play, 75-yard drive. The bootleg passing play seemed to be working pretty well because you had Adam Thielen isolated, and it was just like playing catch in your backyard on that play. Yeah, it was a tremendous design by our offensive staff to uh, have that play ready to go, Uh, got it at the right time. And uh, it worked, worked perfectly uh, with the way they covered it and the way Adam ran the route. He was open by about as much as a player in the NFL gets open. And so it was so important there, too, once we hit the big play, get down in field goal range, that we don't kick field goals, but we score touchdowns. That was another drive where we needed it to end in a touchdown, and we were able to get that. Well, yeah, Adam was wide open on that play. wasn't wide open on his one-handed, spectacular catch that you found him in the back of the end zone. He was being held at the same time. You see this more and more from Adam Thielen, but – you yeah. seem to be pretty comfortable, and tr- the trust factor must be there, Kirk, if you could speak to that between you and Adam. Yeah, we're now at a place where we have had so many reps together and time on task over the last two and a half seasons where not only games but practice reps day in and day out where the route that we threw for that one-handed catch, we've now been able to practice you know, over and over again throughout the course of the year where there is a comfort level um, that, that really helps us. And, you know, Adam – made a tremendous catch and his ability to keep two feet in bounds as well while being held, you know, is just outstanding and uh, great to get to convert another third down there and be able to uh, yeah. get six points. Obviously the flag would have given us first and goal and we likely are able to get it in there with Dalvin or uh, whatever gets called. It was nice for Adam to just leave no doubt and make the play on third down. At this juncture of the game, Kirk, did you feel like you could almost do whatever you needed to do on offense? You had another 12 play 81 yard drive. I think Dalvin capped it off with a touchdown, but everything seemed to be working at that point that even though Dallas was kind of counterpunching that the Vikings had, you know, control the game at that point. Right. We came out in the second half and I believe it was three straight drives where uh, it was a good mix, run, pass, bootleg screens, um, spreading the ball around. And, and we were kind of having our, having our, our way with uh, moving the football. Um, but it was really the last two drives of the second half where, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we couldn't afford to stall and, um, and by stalling, you know, was what led to the ultimately the loss. Yeah. We'll get into that in just a second. But I know Dallas went ahead 24, 21 on that backbreaking 42 yard run, but you came right back. You went for the home run ball to Justin Jefferson. Had you seen that play and wanted to call that throughout the game? Cause I know at one point I saw you come over and talk to Justin. I think it was late in the first half and you have a couple discussions with him about it, but, uh, he did his thing. He laid the ball in there, lofted it in perfectly. And we saw Justin Jefferson do what he's been doing all his entire rookie season. Yeah, that was, again, really good design by our coaches. Um, you know, we got a coverage that was going to give us a chance. Uh, obviously, Justin's ability to get behind the defense, you know, and create separation is all the better. But just the design creates a pocket where I can throw from. And then uh, it just makes for a favorable read and a, and a great, you know, advantageous play and so you love the play call there and uh love the time I was given on that one to set up and throw and it's fun you know when you hit that to Justin 
and you look at your linemen and your head button, you're running down the field. It's a great feeling. And at that point, you know, I thought that, you know, that would, might've been the play that was going to be able to put us over the hump, but uh, it didn't happen. You mentioned the drive that stalled late. You had the ball, I think with six minutes to go, 28, 24 lead. You had a chance to kind of put this one away through a 12 yard pass to Kyle Rudolph. Looks like the, the drive started picking up some momentum early, but it stalled after that. Is that the disappointing part to you when you look at film and saying, we needed to keep the ball rolling at that point to keep possession of the football? Yes. When you see the time left about six minutes, you know that, uh, you know, a few first downs could run the clock down enough where maybe we don't even have to punt the ball back and we can stay on the field or put points on the board and make it a two possession game. Um, but either way, we knew that that was a drive that was so important. We wanted to run clock, but we also wanted to stay aggressive and stay on the field. And so we do get the first first down, you know, with the throw to Kyle and he gets us up the field, stays in bounds, keeps the clock moving. You know, then we stalled and uh, that third down was tight man coverage to Adam and we weren't able to come up with it. And then when we punted back and we knew that, you know, hey, we let one get away there. And, um, and then when the Cowboys went down and scored, it became, hey, we've got to we've got to, you know, get this two minute drill now. Uh, otherwise, we're not coming away with a win. Yeah, you had the time. You had the timeouts left. Uh, unfortunately, it, things just didn't work out in the last drive. I'm sure Justin Jefferson's kicking himself. He had that ball over the middle. Probably would have been maybe a 10, 12-yard gain at the, at the least. Uh, but how, how does a young man, does he recover from that pretty quickly, just have one of those moments? Yeah, I mean, Justin's been so good for us. And at times, we forget that he's a rookie with what we're asking him to do and what mm -hmm. we're counting on for him to do for us. And uh, he had such a great game yesterday. You know, it was one drop pass. It happens. Uh, it's uncharacteristic of him. He has such great hands. You know, you learn from it and you move on. Uh, you know, first down was a positive play to Dalvin. Got the drive going, got the ball out of our hands. You know, the second down then we had that unfortunate incompletion. And then, you know, third down we had uh, tight coverage to Adam. Weren't able to, uh, to get that play done. And then fourth down, uh, I was frustrated with myself on that play. I felt like I had a chance to work Chad Beebe to my left. Um, mm -hmm. And in hindsight would have done that. I was playing off schedule. I felt like the ball down the field to Adam, as much as it was a desperation, uh, you know, maybe had a chance to complete that as well if I'd put it in a different spot. So uh, I found myself really, you know, sick to my stomach walking off the field and leaving the stadium. And even today now, you know, as I think about that final series, knowing that um, there were plays to be made and, and we should have made them and didn't. Dallas came with that two and seven record. They look refreshed <laughs> maybe after the bye week. But again, we talked about the beginning of our segment about how what a razor thin margin there is for winning and losing. And Dallas, did not look like a two and seven football team yesterday. Oh, and, and honestly, we knew that we knew when we looked at their roster and their, pers their personnel, you know, the talent they had, we played them last year mm -hmm. and it was a lot of the same names. And, and in, in a lot of ways they had brought in, you know, new players who were also big time players, you know, like an Alden Smith. So we expected their pass rush to be active all game. They were, uh, I thought our offensive line did a great job holding up. We really only took the one sack, which I could have gotten the ball out, I believe. And, and uh, the second sack I took was me scrambling on the sideline where technically we lost a half yard, but really wasn't on the offensive line at all. So you had two sacks and both of them had nothing to do with the old line. So that says a lot about the way they held up against a really good pass rush. And they have really fast linebackers. I have a lot of respect for them. And um, I just thought they did a good job all, all around, you know, with their scheme and the way they came at us, uh, you know, and like you said, they were fresh off a of bye week. And I think they showed it with the way they played. They were fast defense and at times uh, got the better of us. We'll be right back with our special guest of the week, Dan Patrick of the Dan Patrick Show, right here in Under Center with Kirk Cousins. It's game day any day. Play the new Viking scratch game from the Minnesota Lottery with a top prize of $100,000. Are you game? Just say, I'm in. Get more details at mnlottery.com. 
Innovative Office Solutions and the Minnesota Vikings are teaming up to put the spotlight on nonprofit organizations doing good in the community that surround us. Nominate a deserving organization by going to community.innovativeos.com. Innovative Office Solutions is the hometown provider of office essentials and furniture to the Minnesota Vikings. Are you all in? Welcome back to the show. Let's get right into our interview with the legendary broadcaster Dan Patrick on Under Center with Kirk Cousins. Well, for this week's uh, guest, we have a celebrity guest, and that is the great Dan Patrick. I've had the privilege of being on his show a few times over the years, going back to uh, my college years at Michigan State was the first time I got invited to be on the show and uh, always have fun with Dan and the Danettes, and, and Dan was kind enough to join us today. So, uh, Dan, welcome to our show. I go back to when you were at Michigan State. I think you had just got done playing Russell Wilson in Wisconsin in the Big Ten title game. And it was such a great game back and forth. We might have had you on before that, but we uh, we kind of latched onto you and Russell Wilson. And lo and behold, you guys end up, you know, having great NFL careers. So now you as a host, I'm anxious to see how you uh, you do here. What yeah, kind of questions re- you got? Let me see how you are here. Well, our roles are reversed a little bit. <laughs> okay. So usually when we have a guest on, we like to kind of get a little background and get to know him a little bit. So I want to back it way up. I'm a Midwest guy. I grew up in Michigan. I understand you're from Ohio. You're actually born in Zanesville, which is where Coach D'Antonio, my head coach in college, grew up. And uh, my college roommate is from the Zanesville area. But you're an Ohio guy. Had a lot of teammates at Michigan State from Ohio. Good football in Ohio. Uh, Growing up in Ohio, uh, who were your favorite athletes and who were the teams that you followed and what was kind of your fandom as, as a kid? I was lucky to have the big red machine with Johnny bench and Pete Rose, Joe Morgan, the best national league lineup hitting lineup uh, in the history of baseball, in my opinion. But I was also, when I grew up in Zanesville, I was really young, but I got to see Jim Brown and the Cleveland Browns Mm -hmm. play. And I went from that to Cincinnati where I had the Bengals and the Bengals. Let's face it. I'm not a front runner uh, by being a Bengal fan. (laughs) They had two moments. They go to the Super Bowl and they lost to Joe Montana both times, but I saw the Bengals when they first started, um, you know, some of these guys who became head coaches, I saw Sam Weish play Bruce Coslett. They, they played on the first Bengal team that I remember going to watch, but um, you know, I was lucky uh, Cincinnati basketball was great. Cincinnati football was great. High school football. And uh, I was surrounded by, you know, a lot of great moments growing up. So over time as a broadcaster, does that fandom die or do you still deep down have that allegiance and you're pulling for those Cincinnati and Ohio schools and teams? I think it stopped Kirk in 1990. This is when the Reds beat the Oakland A's in the world series swept them. And it was a big shock. And I was on sports center and I was in between highlights. And I remember Joe Oliver hit a double down the line I think off Dennis Eckersley and they won the game and I'm in my sports center <laughs> chair and I forget who was anchoring with me, but I got up and I started like this quietly wow. screaming yep. that the reds were going to beat the Oakland A's. And I said, what am I doing? Wow. I can't be rooting for anybody. And if I say I'm a Bengals fan, then you're a Browns fan or a Steelers fan. You're not going to like, you're going to have right. already Amen. a question mark about that. Amen. And I got rid of my, my loyalty but people I grew up with were like, Hey, why are you so mean on the Bengals? Or why don't you say something nice about the Reds? I go, I, I don't root anymore. It's yeah. the hardest thing that ever happened. I miss the high, but I miss that heartache too. When you lose a game, 
like, I don't feel anything when I watch these games. Right. But I miss the feeling of watching these games as a fan. Well, I assume you don't go into sports broadcasting unless you love sports and you are a fan. And so that's really an interesting point about your lifestyle is like you said, you can't really take sides. And at the same time, you get into the business in the first place because you love cheering on your team. So. But I love a storyline, Kirk. That's sure. what I, I root for a, sure. a great storyline, no matter what it is. If you say Pittsburgh's going undefeated, I'll go great storyline. Uh, yeah. Patrick Mahomes goes to another Super Bowl. Great storyline. Yeah. Uh, you know, you get a surprise team that makes the playoffs, whatever those things are. That's what I root for because it's easy to tell that story over and over and over. Right. So you were a great athlete growing up in Ohio. You're a basketball player, play college basketball. Tell me about the transition from athlete to sports broadcaster, how you picked sports broadcasting as opposed to any other field. And back then, how competitive was it to climb the ladder in, in sports broadcasting? Well, I remember I was 12 years of age and I'd cut out all the pictures in Sports Illustrated. I'd get it on a Wednesday and I would, I would read everything and I'd cut every picture out that I wanted to hang on my wall. My dad would come home and he would hold up the magazine and it would just be shredded. And I remember <laughs> he got me my first subscription to Sports Illustrated because I said, this, I want to be a sportscaster. I didn't know how to do it. Uh, but that's I didn't have a, a fallback. There was no plan B. Wow. And as far as playing sports, uh, I'd had uh, numerous knee surgeries and then realized that at the time there was no three point shot. So nobody was going to need somebody who had a bad <laughs> knee uh, and basically could only shoot. And uh, I, I quickly realized that broadcasting was what I wanted to do. How did you feel? Hey, I got a knack for this. I got a chance to go somewhere with it. And also, where did you cut your teeth and sort of learn on the fly? You know, I think of as quarterback, you kind of get thrown in the fire as a young player. You got to learn how and where did you do that? And then when did it click? Like, maybe I got a shot here to kind of do something special. I don't know if it clicked early. Um, I was doing morning drive news on a rock and roll station <laughs> and I, I couldn't get a job doing sports. And what I did on my uh, free time is I'd cover the Reds and the Bengals and they wouldn't pay me, but I would go there and I'd hold a microphone. Chris Collinsworth was playing for the Bengals at the time. Sure, sure. Uh, Boomer Esiason. And I got a, a great opportunity to be in a professional locker room to understand what it's like to be professional, what it's like to get a sound bite and uh, bring that back. And uh, the, the uh, weekend job at Channel 2 in Dayton opened up and I got a chance to audition for it. And I didn't get the job and I'd had a celebration party. I, everybody told me, even the guy I was competing with at channel two said, you're going to get the job. You're a better guy for for that. I just didn't factor in that he was better looking than me. <laughs> you know, I, I, you know, was six, three, about one seventy with acne and uh, I was not presentable on TV. And uh, it just so happened that, I uh, nearly gave up that, uh, you know, the, uh, the thought of being a sportscaster. I visited an old wow. girlfriend in Atlanta and she said, you should bring a tape down here and take it to CNN. They're hiring CNN. had just started. I said, if I can't get a job in Dayton, Ohio, I can't get a job at CNN. <laughs> Last day I'm there. She drives me to CNN before I'm going to the airport. I take a tape in and it just so happens. Uh, I said, Hey, can you have the head of sports? Look at this. He said, uh, well, they don't do that day of, uh, you know, just leave the tape. And I said, look, I'm going back to Ohio right now. Could I have somebody look at it? They called back and the man who would be my boss was from Columbus, Ohio. And 
because I said, Ohio, he let me back. We looked at my tape. He hired me that day. And a week later I got hired at CNN. And then I was at CNN for five and a half years. And then I got, I called up ESPN one day, my yeah. contract had expired. I, I didn't have an agent Kirk and I wanted $5,000 more. And I said, I went in and I said, I was making 50,000 at the time. And I said, I want 55,000. And then uh, my boss came back and said, we'll give you 52. And then I thought they didn't want me. So I called the guy who would eventually be my boss at ESPN, John Walsh. I said, Hey, do you know who I am? He goes, yes. You interested in hiring me? Yes. Wow. Uh, he, he said, when can you come up? I go, it was a Friday. I said, how about Monday? And then I went up Monday and then he, he hired me. So I always tell people you got to be lucky, but you have to be ready when you're lucky. And uh, I had that opportunity and, uh, you know, I, I was able to be on the 11 o'clock sports center for 15 of the 18 years that I was there. And then I went out on my own uh, 13 years ago. Well, those years were my childhood. So I grew up watching Dan Patrick anchor sports center. And just as importantly, I grew up watching Dan Patrick star in this is sports center commercials. Oh yeah. Uh, do you have a favorite commercial that you did or a, a funny memory of one? Because I, I just, I took to those. I liked them and I thought you guys did a great job in them. Well, what happened was I went to my boss and I said, look, you promote every other show, but you don't promote sports center. They said, well, we don't have to, but I said, why, why don't we sports center is the cash cow here. And then they said, all right, well, how about we uh, hire Wyden and Kennedy who did a lot of the Nike stuff. And they said, we'll bring them in, but you have to help get some athletes. And I'm getting athletes to go to Bristol, Connecticut, and they don't get paid. <laughs> and I reached out to Grant Hill and Jason Kidd. And I said, would you do me a favor, come to Bristol and do a commercial. And uh, the one I did with Grant Hill is when he's playing the piano in the lobby and he's trying to pick up my spears because I didn't have a good show. And it's like, dun, 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 dun. And Grant could play the piano. And then he had a tip jar and I put the dollar in the tip jar. I, I appreciated that because those guys came in and then everybody realized I want a sports center commercial. Mm -hmm. The other one that I did was uh, Lance Armstrong was the generator in the basement of the building. <laughs> And my, my screen flicks on and off and my computer and I have to go all the way down into the basement. And then I open the door and there's Lance and he stopped pedaling. And I go, Lance, what are you doing? He goes, Oh, I thought everybody left. I go, no, no, I'm doing my show. And then he starts pedaling. You hear the generator come back out, up again. And that was one of my favorites. But the, the one that we probably get more reaction to was I'm in the bathroom with Keith Oberman and we're putting our makeup on while we're putting our makeup on, we're talking about tough guys in hockey. So, you know, the juxtaposition of I'm putting on blush and foundation. And meanwhile, we're talking about tough guys in hockey and we used to have to put our own makeup on. They didn't really, they didn't have a makeup artist. And wow. so that was true. That was real. We'd go in there and we'd talk and then we'd go do sports center. But uh, we, we had so much fun with those people yeah, and uh, their creativity was wonderful. Yeah, you just pumped them out one after another. They were so good, oh, so topical. Yes. Yeah. It was unbelievable. Yeah. Now, your time came in, uh, to an end in Bristol, and you became a free agent. In the sports broadcasting world, you were a free agent. Uh, I've lived that as a free agent in, in, uh, in pro football. I didn't Talk get the about... franchise tag, though, Kirk. Oh, I kept yeah, waiting for the franchise tag. tag. <laughs> Don't give me this boo-hoo, you're a free agent. Yeah. <laughs> I waited for the franchise tag. It never came. Yeah, it never, never arrived. So – 
talk about that process of, you know, understanding, okay, you're moving on. I have options trying to make a decision. Um, obviously it worked out and, and it all kind of ended up being to a great spot. But at the time, did you see the, the Dan Patrick show being what it became or did it kind of evolve over time? Oh, if I was going to be honest, I'd say no way. I thought that it would be this successful, but I, I needed sort of a kick in the pants because ESPN, it's like if you're playing for a great team, but you don't know if you're great or you're great because you're on a great team. And I was lucky to be on a great team at ESPN. I just sort of needed to find out I'd gotten in a rut. You know, I needed to find out if, um, I, I thought I'd peaked. I thought I'd, hmm. this is what I, and I, I wanted to host the Olympics. I wanted to host a Super hmm. Bowl, and NBC gave me that opportunity. And then I was able to do my show as well. And, right. uh, you know, I, I, I got into a, I'm with good guys, and they trusted right. me. It was one of those where blindly following me. And if I was in their situation, I probably wouldn't have done that because they were at ESPN. They had good jobs, but I wow. told them that I won't lose and I'd take care of them. And, uh, I lived up to that word so far. No doubt. Well, when I was at Michigan State, I was competing with uh, Nick Foles and uh, Brian Hoyer was the starter. And I remember uh, just feeling like I may never get to play here. And my dad would encourage me by saying the cream always rises to the top. In other words, if you're good enough, uh, you're going to get a shot at some point and, and you're going to get to play. And if you're not good enough, you got to live with that. And the same with the NFL, as I've competed throughout my career, he would say, you know, the cream always rises to the top. When I was a backup, not knowing if you're ever going to get your shot. Um, he would encourage me with that. And I, I just look at your story then as you're telling it. And I see the same thing when you left ESPN, you know, if, if you're good enough, yeah. it'll work out. And, and it did. And it says a lot about your talent, your work ethic, your ability, and kind of what you built for yourself. And, you know, I kind of look back at your show as kind of the first to do it the way that now everyone's doing it. And maybe I'm wrong, but I remember, you know, back in early college, seeing you on your show and thinking like, this is unique. I'm watching a guy who I used to listen to on the radio. I'm now watching him do this, yeah. but it's painting and it's good TV. And, and now you see it's, it's everywhere, but I feel like. Well, they can't replicate the man cave. I have 11 cameras in here. <laughs> I have a, a grilling area, a basketball court, football field, uh, two bars, uh, pinball, but I, I wanted when you watched that it was going to be moving that, that, that instead of us just, just sitting here and you're watching guys sit and talk during the commercial breaks, whatever it is, golf simulators over here on the other side, yeah. I've got everything you need. Yeah. And part of that was I wanted it where my guys wanted to get here early and stay late that they could come in and, and they could shoot basketball. I got, you know, a whole weight room over here. There's uh, ping pong <laughs> over there everything you need to come in and basically have a good time and yeah. do a show. And I was very fortunate that uh, we were able to build this and, and where I live in Milford, Connecticut, I couldn't afford this if I was in New York or Chicago sure. or LA, Atlanta. And uh, you know, that factored in as well. Fleet Farms holiday layaway is back. Get the products you want before they're gone and pay as you go. Christmas just got easier. Fleet Farm, we've got you covered. Welcome back to the show. Let's listen in to more of our interview with Dan Patrick. What's, what's the job like as far as keeping up with sports all the time? I mean, I remember at Michigan State, you're interviewing me and you're pretty well versed in Big Ten football and Wisconsin, Russell Wilson, Michigan State. 
and yet I'm talking to you as a, as a player in Washington, as a player in Minnesota, you're well-versed in what we're doing there. You've got really the entire sports landscape, really at a global level when you count the Olympics and other things going on. How do you keep up with it? Are, are weekends just filled with sports viewing or how does that happen? Well, you have to know a little bit about a lot and a lot about a little. It depends <laughs> on the day and who you're talking to. Yeah. And uh, because I would just do a deep dive into when you're at Michigan State, uh, sure. you know, what your numbers were, what your numbers are against certain opponents, uh, might be defensive backs who are going to the NFL, those teams that you faced. Um, and then it could be uh, I could watch uh, golf, if, if, you know, depending on what happened or football, college football. I end up watching, I sample a lot, mm-hmm. but there are times when I lock in on something and it's a great game or great story, but I, I read a ton. I, I read, okay. it never stops. When you think Minnesota Vikings, what are the memories that come to mind for you going back through the years as you've covered uh, the league and, and our team uh, for so many years? I was a huge Fran Tarkington fan. Sure. I loved Bud Grant. I loved the purple people eaters. I loved Chuck Foreman. Uh, I just, like I, I, there was something about the Vikings. I don't know what it was, you know, with the push off with Drew Pearson. I was so angry about that. Um, it, I rooted for the Vikings. I wanted them to win a Super Bowl, and I don't know what it yeah. was because I felt the same way with the Bills. If you lose a Super Bowl, we all of a sudden think you're worthless, or you're not the second best team in the NFL. Right. And the Vikings would lose, and people would just discard them. Buffalo would lose. It's so hard to go to four Super Bowls. The Bills went four in a row. That'll never happen to a team that loses four Super Bowls in a row. And there was just something about the Vikings that I, Sammy White. I mean, there's so many guys that I I remember that I just, there was something about that team. And I love them playing outdoors. And Bud Grant was such a badass, man. (laughs) He was like, if he could have worn short sleeves, he would have worn short sleeve. No heaters on the sidelines. But um, who was it? Fred Cox was the uh, place kicker. Was he number 12? Does that sound right? Uh, but I, I just, I, I love the purple people leaders. I love the Vikings, but they always let me down. <laughs> Coach Grant still comes around. He has an office here at the facility. And yes, there's a lot of history here. And it makes it, it, makes it fun to play for a team like that. I got to ask you while I have you, how in the world did you get in the Adam Sandler movies? Mm. And what was that experience like? Well, Sandler, I think, had hired Keith Oberman to be in Happy Gilmore. And they were (laughs) shooting in Vancouver. And two or three days before Oberman canceled, according to Sandler, and didn't fly to Vancouver. Keith didn't fly. But Mm. um, so they they had to make good on another switch there with the the roles with somebody else. And I saw Sandler, I don't know, a couple of years later. And I didn't know anything about this. And I see him at a Knicks game. And then I... This, uh, I saw him in sort of the bowels of Madison Square Garden where nobody was, and I was walking out, and I go, hey, what's up, Sandman? And he's like, Danny? I said, uh, what's going on? He goes, ah, oh, your boy Overman, he really screwed me over. And I go, what? He goes, yeah, he was supposed to show up in Vancouver for Happy Gilmore, and he doesn't show up. I said, well, if you ever need somebody, a sportscaster, I'm here. And he goes, you're in my next movie. You're going to be a police officer. And I, that wasn't the next movie. I was in Waterboy, played myself. And then he put me in the longest yard where I'm a police officer at the beginning of the movie. And I arrest him. And I was just in Hubie Halloween that came out a month ago. And I think that's the 18th or 19th movie I've been in with Sandler. 
He's pretty loyal to his guys. Oh, I mean, every single movie I see, he's got crazy. guys. Yes, and, and he wants that familiarity on the set. He doesn't want drama. Uh, but when you're on set, you know, you sort of understand what Sandler wants. And, you know, that's why he has a lot of the same people coming back because he knows what he can expect out of them. But I just tell him, look, you, you can always say, I'm not going to have you in a movie and I won't take it personally. Because <laughs> I, I do feel like he feels like I got to write, I got to write something for Danny. And then uh, he'll let me know and call me up or he'll text me and say, I got a script for you or got a part for you. And then he'll send me the script. And usually it's one or two days yeah. that I shoot it. But yeah, um, he's, he's very generous. He's been a very, very generous friend for uh, over 20 years. Does acting take you out of your element or does it feel like TV? I could never do it for a living okay. because it takes forever to shoot 20 seconds, 30 seconds, 60 seconds, forever. And I, I just, I would go crazy. I'd go stir crazy. Uh, I need action. It's got to be moving. And there, there's very little action there. But uh, I found I could do it, but I could, I could do it in, in you know, a bite-sized portion role where it's not that big. I, because I did a, a, a scene, the movie was just go with it, where we're in Hawaii and it's Dave Matthews, Adam Sandler, Nicole Kidman, Jennifer Aniston. And we do a dance contest with uh, coconuts. And now I'm, I'm comfortable being around Dave Matthews. I'm comfortable being around Sandman. Jennifer Aniston and Nicole Kidman have no idea who I am. Zero. Because Sandler just says, uh, hey, uh, Aniston, this is uh, Danny Patrick. He's a sports guy. So she would just say, hey, sports guy. And then I'm doing these scenes with them. And they're, they're actors. I mean, Nicole Kidman is an actress. Like you, you want an actress, look up, you know, the dictionary, you go actress, Nicole Kidman's right there. Yep. I'm thinking, God, she knows I'm a phony when I'm on the set and I'm up there and we're acting and I screw up. I miss, you know, I, I screwed up my line and she's just <laughs> staring at me and I'm going, she knows, she knows I'm a phony. <laughs> she knows it. And we somehow got through it. The scene turned out to be great, but that's the first time, only time I've ever felt like I'm so in over my head. The other ones I'm with, Rob Schneider or David sure. Spade or Sandman. Sure. Those guys are screw-ups too. So I, I felt comfortable with them. Well, I, I'm playing cleanup here, but I got you by a couple of years, Dan. And I think as evidenced by this conversation you're having with Kirk in this information age, as you mentioned, with sound bites being so prevalent in our society, it must be heartening to, to have people understand and love long form interviews, which is your forte and how much uh, enjoyment people are getting from that because do we not have a thirst for that more than ever right now, the personal connection? Well, that's what I'm going for, that I hope you trust me as an audience, as a listener, as a viewer, that I'm going to interview somebody and hopefully I'm giving you something that I've already learned about this person or I hope to learn about this person. And there's nothing better when somebody says, wow, I did not know that about that person. Or the time I had Jerry West on and he had just written a book and the passage that stood out was his mom was being abused by his dad, who was an alcoholic. And he said, you know, I went to bed with a shotgun under my mattress. And so now I'm taking away the logo, Jerry West, basketball player. This is a 12 year old with a gun under his mattress that he's going to kill his dad. Not that you get that, but when you get that, you know it. And when you're able to share Dale Earnhardt Jr. was talking about being four or five years of age and his house burnt down. And he just stood there, he said, watching, and he realized 
that he didn't get any Christmas gifts that year because everything was in the house. Mm-hmm. And then he was going to go live with his dad and him telling it as a five-year-old is what was powerful. That's what you want. When you get somebody who can, they trust you that you'll protect them because there are times when I'm not here to exploit anybody or make it titillating. It's just, if there's something there and I can bring out a fun story, a good story, a sentimental story, serious story, and give you, and, and given the opportunity to have eight to 12 minutes to do it, right. Have mm-hmm. that time frame is really important because if you have the long form interview, you need to have the time to do the long form. And, and I do it cause I'm my own boss. And there are times <laughs> when, when we're really lucky to be able to get some, we had Alex Smith on a couple of weeks ago. And my first question was not anything to do with him. I said, how's your wife? And he realized that was the important part of all of this. Yeah. His wife went through all of this. He was, you know, probably, you know, under medication, whatever it might be. She had to see all of this and had to raise and raising three kids. And she's in the stands when he comes in for that game. And I know you, I know you tutor a lot of young broadcasters. And I think uh, probably the number one skill that you probably uh, pass along to them is being a good listener. Yeah. That's what it takes. Correct, Dan? Yeah. And I've, I've told, I tell people that I have three daughters and, and <laughs> I, I say, if you want to raise daughters, be a good listener. And they look at you like, what? I go, just listen. Girls will tell you everything. You just have to listen. And it's the same thing when you do an interview. When somebody will say something, because Kirk may say something to me, and it may trail off, and he may not know it's, there's something there, and I'll go, wait, why? And those are the best questions you could ever ask. Why? How? Where? Who? Because I don't want to give you time to reload. A lot of times what we do in this business, we'll ask a question, answer the question, and then ask the question. Mm-hmm. Now I've given you so much time to prepare a que- you know, an answer. I'm not getting something that's honest. And when you go, why? And then you almost jolt people because I want you to tell me something right now, not let me repeat the question you just asked. There's a lot of things that, you know, people will do to, to sort of stall, but all I want is just give me something honest. I want to keep you in your car that one of the best tributes you can give me is I couldn't get out of my car. <laughs> I mean, that's when you know like that you're, that. you got something, uh, you know, that's a little bit different. And that yeah. that's my goal with every interview. It, it, Chris Sims today, whatever it is, I want you to stay in your car. It could be, you know, somebody is, you know, Shaq joining us, whatever it is, it's the same goal with no matter who I have on. Am I telling you something that you haven't heard? And, you know, are you going to stay in your car to listen to the whole interview? Well, I've got to say, Dan, I, I uh, enjoy coming on your show because of that. I enjoy the way you listen, the questions you ask, the homework you do. And uh, I do appreciate the long form style. So, you know, your career shows it. You're the best of the best. Uh, you're in Cooperstown for what you do. And uh, I just want to thank you so much for your time today coming on the show and look forward to talking with you in the future. Uh, it's, it's always great. It's great to talk to you and, uh, I wish you well, you're one of the good people in this business and, uh, you know, I appreciate the time. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Dan. Great to see you. Well, Kirk, no one's going to have to tell you guys about the, the sense of urgency right now because you, you can't win four or five games on Sunday. You can only win one, but Carolina's coming in here on the heels of a 20 nothing shutout of the Detroit Lions, and I don't care what the circumstances are. When you shut out another football team, you got to be paying attention to what they're doing defensively. Absolutely. Uh, I look forward to you know diving into them 
and uh, what they're doing, obviously new coaching staff. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, less familiar with the scheme or the coaches as, as you would be with, you know, some other teams you're playing more consistently. So uh, it'll be interesting to get familiarized with them. I haven't played Carolina in a few years now. So like you said, there's a sense of urgency, you know, borderline uh, desperation, knowing that we need to get this win to keep our season alive. You know, we need to work that way and prepare that way all week long. Did you come out of the game okay physically? I know you took some pretty good hits in, in the first half in particular. Oh, yeah, I was fortunate. Uh, walked away uh, feeling just fine. You know, I'm always factoring that in. You know, as the as the games pile up, as the hits pile up, you know, checking in with how does your body feel and um, driving home from the stadium, you know, was grateful that came out of another game feeling clean. And so you go back to work and you do all the work on your body week to week to make sure it stays that way. And, um, you know, we'll head into next Sunday. Is it easy to... I mean, yeah, it's, it hurts. You said you're sick to your stomach about it, but trusting the process, how important is that as opposed to looking at the standings, uh, looking what your rest of your schedule looks like and just concentrating on the day at hand? Well, I think that is, uh, you know, a key part of the season, both, you know, when you're on a three game win streak, like we were, uh, you do need to keep blinders on and not, you know, have people pat you on the back and start to relax. You need to have great habits and keep an edge to the way you work and prepare and play on game day. Um, but then when you have a tough loss like Sunday and emotionally, you know, you're kind of down, mm-hmm. you have to find a way to, you know, still just keep, keep at it, stay focused, uh, don't get discouraged, keep your routines, and um, believe that those consistent habits will, uh, will enable you to, you know, stick to a process and, and ultimately, you know, get to where you want to go. But uh, anytime you lose, you find yourself doing some soul searching and trying to figure out why and what needs to be fixed and changed. And anytime you win, you're, you, you have to be careful not to gloss over mistakes. So that's why you have to be so disciplined with your process and win or lose, you know, be hard on yourself and, and always be seeking to get better. It is a crazy um, year to say the least at the NFL. Uh, COVID <laughs> has put a crimp in it with not having fans in the stands and everything else that's gone on. You guys are getting tested all the time. Uh, is it been a really difficult process? I mean, not, I don't, I mean, the wins and losses are there, but just to kind of to keep disciplined throughout all of this Kirk right now. Uh, it's been a fluid situation and um, you know, the everyday testing has now become very normal. Wearing a mask, you know, around the building has become very normal for us. In fact, not testing and not wearing a mask is really what feels abnormal at this point. You know, I, I just think you never know when the next positive test is going to happen or close contact or when you might lose a guy for a few days of practice or a coach, how that might affect your strategy. And if it happens early in the week, you can adjust and plan accordingly for game day. But if it happens the day before the game, you've planned all week to have that player, that coach available, and you're kind of scrambling to modify a game plan or an approach. So it's a fluid situation. You don't know what the next week will bring, but you do have to uh, be ready for curveballs. almost expect curveballs, and then, um, you know, have a plan accordingly. And our whole league is dealing with it. And, um, you know, there's no excuses. And our final minute, Kirk, what's the cousins Thanksgiving going to look like on Thursday? <laughs> you know, Rosie, I'm glad you asked because this is going to be the most unique Thanksgiving I've ever had. Uh, my wife and my two boys due to the shutdown in Minnesota and the desire to not uh, inf- get infected and then, you know, spread it to me, they actually left. So they're gone for Thanksgiving and due to mm. the combination of the state rules and the NFL rules, I am going to be having Thanksgiving by myself, just sitting there in my house watching football. So that'll be a first for me. I've always been with somebody from my family on Thanksgiving or, or with teammates 
but due to the rules, I won't be able to gather with anybody. So uh, that'll be unique, uh, but um, it's the world we're living in. So you're not going to be sweating over the oven, uh, making a Tom Turkey here. You're just going to kind of <laughs> freelance this whole thing, Kirk. <laughs> well, I was planning on doing some kind of delivery of some food, you know, whatever that would be. It probably wasn't going to be all the fixings, but uh, the Vikings did say they're going to provide a little to go Thanksgiving meal after work on Thursday. So at least I'll get that. <laughs> so I'll head home with my little uh, plate of Turkey and stuffing and, hopefully some cranberry sauce and mashed potatoes and, and then uh, probably turn on the TV and watch some football and sit there by myself and have a little <laughs> my party of one. Who, who would have thunk it? Well, stay safe, my friend, and uh, enjoy your Thanksgiving, and we'll talk to you next week. All right. Have a great Thanksgiving, Rosie. Thank you. Appreciate it. And thank you for joining us for this episode of Under Center with Kirk Cousins, presented by Fleet Farms.